the world as we knew it 20 years ago has changed fundamentally and so very fundamentally that the role of learning and education that we can use for day to day living has also changed forever are we adequately prepared or is organized education going to continue to be about compliance obedience accreditation memorizing facts and learning to do tasks and i hope uh, akanksha would be discussing all of this akanksha today will talk about the what and how of unpacking 21st century skills in schools and classrooms she will also share her findings from her evaluation studies of the integration of 21st century skills in school education across the world the format of the talk for all uh, participants would be our guest speaker akanksha would speak for about 20 to 25 minutes that would be followed by a moderated q and a for about 15 to 20 minutes you can use the chat box to post your questions and we will try to take up as many questions as we can given the time that we have with us and lastly the speaker would once again make closing concluding remarks thank you and now over to you akanksha thank you um can i share my screen okay and Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining in today. It's uh, really an honor to be here, and Dr. Balu, thank you very much for uh, inviting me. Um, I would like to talk about twenty-first uh, century uh, skills: the what and the how. Um, the reason this title has been chosen is because uh, we have been struggling as an organization with the what and the how of twenty-first uh, century skills for many, many years. our work is uh, focused on the evaluation of education programs and for the past 5 years uh, more and more focus has been on the measurement of the impact of programs that are trying to teach 21st century skills so uh, we'll dive right into what these skills are and um, uh, you know what's it all about because there's a lot of confusion about um, uh, how do we define them how do we identify them how do we teach them and what are the methods um so this is a chart which is uh, showing um data for over 100 years on um how the discourse has changed in talking about 21st century skills so um if you we did a search for these terms creativity empathy critical thinking and executive function and we see that in uh, book texts uh, over the last 100 years there has been an, a real increase in the frequency of occurrence of these terms So clearly, the conversation on twenty-first century skills or life skills is growing. Um, so, what are these skills? Twenty-first um, century skills encompass a wide range of skills, attitudes, and competencies required by individuals to make informed decisions, solve problems, think critically and creatively, communicate effectively, build relationships, empathize, and manage their lives in a healthy and productive manner. um also i would like to point out that a number of different interchangeable uh, terms are used for 21st century skills um life skills non cognitive skills non academic skills character skills and so on uh we will not get into the debate of distinguishing one from the other for now we'll just uh you know put them all under one bucket of 21st century skills so one of the first problems is that there are very complex definitions if you take a very um seemingly straightforward skills such as empathy uh it's uh we you know we think we know what it means but when we actually had people write down what empathy is we got and this is just a very small sample we got a huge variety of what people think it might be 
for example someone says that it's tearing down barriers to listen the ability to understand uh, someone or walking in someone else's shoes now if you think about it um, as a practitioner if you are trying to teach a child um, empathy how do you teach them tearing down barriers versus walking in someone else's shoes so the first thing is we need to have clarity on what we even mean by these skills and so if there is confusion around what they are it is it's completely uh, natural for it to be there uh this kind of confusion then leads to ambiguous usage um for example we found this in a research paper saying um and a very rigorous quantitative paper um children from low income backgrounds often have lower levels of cognitive skills and skills and social emotional maturity um now how do we distinguish between cognitive skills and social emotional maturity if we are trying to build them or if we are trying to measure them or assess them so again the point being made that we really need some kind of clarity on what's going on over here on top of that we have many many skills as part of this there are numerous frameworks that have talked about life skills 21st century skills um and this set of skills has actually emerged from a round table convening dr balu you were part of that as well um where about 2025 different organizations talked about um their interventions and what they were trying to teach and this sort of master list emerged from that conversation and we can see that if we have so many skills that there's no way we can either teach them or prioritize them very easily either so the whole skill space is pretty complex um on top of that uh, we have some of the you know gold standard uh, um frameworks which talk about it like the OECD framework the world economic forum framework the p21 or the hilton pellegrino where there is a lot of overlap um or kind of cross talk between things so over here for example um if you see in the p21 framework we have creative thinking in one set of learning skills and flexibility in another set of life skills and when we actually uh, you know look at creative thinking or creativity and unpack it we find that flexibility is part of that so how do we start making sense of what's going on over here um what we so there's a lot of confusion there's therefore leading you know issues with design of interventions how do we select what what skills we need to start teaching issues with uh, developing me measurements or assessments for these uh, skills uh, and then the inability of the research and education community to even have a common language for discussion um i've had arguments with people when i've been you know saying empathy someone's been saying compassion and we say it's the same thing but it's not the same thing um uh, and then therefore you know if that's not happening then it's the, there's an inability to come to a consensus on how to be prioritized so given this entire background of the confusion and ambiguity around life skills we uh, set out about four four and a half years ago to do research and try to understand what this is all about um this kind of list that i had shown earlier uh, we were getting these set of skills from multiple organizations that we were trying to measure the interventions of so we would get an organization come to us with a list of 30 or 40 skills saying we need to measure all of this because this is what we are teaching in our entrepreneurship program um so we put all of them together try to uh, characterize them or uh, classify them and then came up with four or five broad buckets and then went a uh, deep dive into each of these uh, four buckets uh once we had done that uh, then we also uh, aligned these um specific skills with the available measurement methods just to have a resource available for anyone who's trying to teach or measure the um uh, assess the skills of students 
So the four um, skills that we identified were creativity, critical thinking, empathy, and executive function. Um, when we look at each of these in detail, um, we understand how vast this entire space is. So for example, uh, creativity is broken down into all of these close to 20 separate constructs. And the ones here in the um, um, filled out boxes are the ones where we found tests or assessments available. And these ones were where we had no tests or, that we could find at least. Uh, similarly, we broke down the constructs for critical thinking. And again, there are some which have assessments available, some which don't. Uh, empathy, we did the same thing. And then executive function was the same. Uh, we also had leadership related uh, skills emerging through a number of our um, interventions that we were evaluating. But unfortunately, we could not do much of a literature review um, on that because there isn't much available for the domain of school, uh, K-12 or even higher education. It goes beyond uh, into the management literature. So we weren't really able to pull out the constructs for leadership. But if we examine it carefully, then a combination of executive function and empathy in a way brings together the leadership uh, qualities that we might be seeking in um, students. So these were the four um, broad uh, buckets that we looked at. These are the, um, you know, the constructs that they got broken down to. And then what this also revealed in the process, one is confirm the fact that the skills are complex and they're made up of several interrelated constructs. For example, if we look at associative thinking or logical thinking in the creativity set of skills, it's also necessary for the critical thinking set of skills. So there's a lot of crosstalk. Um, so when we ask the question of what do we teach and how do we teach, we need to be cognizant of the fact that they all will have, all the skills will have to grow together and you cannot teach one independent of another. So now the question of how do we go about doing this? Um, a lot of these constructs do not have assessments uh, associated with them, as I had mentioned earlier. And um, so how do we teach and how do we even assess it? So the first thing we need to do is to start thinking also about assessments. Um, the skills are not the same as academic skills or subject knowledge. And if you're thinking of something like creativity, there's no way you can test it out on a pen and paper test. So we need to start thinking very creatively about creativity assessments as well. Um, the mechanisms of assessing could be completely different. For example, if, you know, we could give, and I know a lot of these will not work at uh, the kind of scale we're looking at in India. Uh, but for example, looking at, you know, blocks and how kids can build something out of basic blocks, uh, which could be ref uh, reflective of the kind of complexities that they can create. Um, the other way, uh, and this is a slide that I will spend a little bit of time on, and this is our current ongoing study, which is near completion. Uh, we've done a global review of uh, 16 or 17 different organizations um, across four continents, uh, looking at very unique uh, methods to introduce life skills. So these methods cover, uh, for example, computational skills, the Reggio Emilia approach, professional development, music, design thinking, life skills transformation approaches, tinkering, whole school approaches, debating, sport, art, movement, media. So all of these different methods have been used to teach and learn 21st century skills. These are very well established organizations, which was one of the criteria for us uh, to select them. Um, so they have been doing work for you know, 
at least 10 years or more. And uh, they have reflected there's some kind of a change happening in the participants of these programs. Now, what is it that they are doing that um, that's actually working? And that's uh, the next slide is going to be talking about that. There have been certain common factors across all of these organizations in their design and implementation, which have actually helped to implement and uh, have an impact on the beneficiaries. So this is a lot to take in and I'll just uh, point out a few key things over here. So we have, we have tried to pull out the key design features of all of these programs. And uh, we're trying to build a framework for designing life skills intervention. So what are all the factors that one needs to consider in order to try and implement an effective life skills intervention? Uh, there's a lot over here, but I would like to point out a few things. For example, over here, we have mentorship and the role of the adult. This has been key across all um, organizations. Um, so, and when we think about uh, scaling up, a lot of times what happens is the programs tend to get diluted out as you take it from, um, you know, school to state to, to national level. So, um, how the role of the adult can continue to be uh, fostered through that kind of a scale up is something that we should probably keep in mind. Another very interesting piece was the ownership of the program. So how involved are the stakeholders themselves in the development and implementation of the program um, is crucial to having um, an effective life skills intervention. Again, uh, because we're looking at something which is very different from academic learning, play-based learning seems to be quite key over here as well. Uh, play, play seems to be at the center. So if people are not having fun while they're learning these skills, it's very unlikely this will happen. And I think I would like to add as a general point that when we're thinking about scaling up, the dilution that happens at the scale is, is not going to help in an effective intervention. So that's something that really needs to be kept in mind um, as we're taking this forward. Um, and looking ahead, uh, we have done another piece of research recently, um, which is available in our COVID-19 report. And we uh, interviewed stakeholders, uh, almost 300 stakeholders from about, I think, 20 plus countries. And a lot of the experts have expressed that the next stage of learning post-COVID is going to be 21st century skills. And over here it says, moving forward, any dialogue on learning cannot afford to be dissociated from a dialogue on skills. Also, um, these were some of the, uh, the specific skills that emerged through this conversation on what should post-COVID learning look like. So empathy in compassion, resilience has been uh, really strongly um, stated by experts. And uh, also our latest new education policy says that you know, some of the principles of the policy are based on um, skills like rational thought and action, uh, empathy, courage, resilience. So um, going forward, I think uh, 21st century skills definitely are going to be crucial to learning. And I think um, that's where I will stop at this point in time. Ramesh, uh, do we have any quick uh, uh, questions to start off? I could see a couple of them in the chat box. Uh, 
there was one question which uh, which was partially uh, answered but i'll still take it up uh, yeah. uh, the uh, learning has really changed in this uh, you know in this covid era uh, will we uh, the question goes on like will we really change fundamental learning for the coming days the last six months have changed our normal what we would call as normal um i think this is actually a very remarkable inflection point in in education and we need to take advantage of the fact that things have significantly changed and uh, the covid report that i just mentioned uh, is actually titled from schooling to learning so definitely schooling is not happening across most of the countries in the world today uh, but learning in some form or another is going on um and Uh, some of the respondents to the survey particularly the experts and the parents made some statements which were uh, very telling in that they said you know even learning how um, how to organize yourself or learning how to uh, be around the house or help people or be kind are all this is all learning so we need to start rethinking about learning as not just academic knowledge uh, and we've been talking about this for a very long time Uh, but i think now is a point where we're actually seeing that uh, so recognizing that learning is happening despite the fact that um, you know lessons may or may not be happening and very aware of the fact that there's not access for everyone in terms of digital learning right now um, but regardless learning is happening it's of a very different nature but we need to recognize that it is learning also a quick quick question on something that you know i have grappled with right from my childhood uh, you know i i have always found uh, classrooms uh, claustrophobic and textbooks restrictive so i'll ask this question uh, one uh, one of the things is you know uh, uh, words have powerful meanings i mean uh, we are talking about 21st century skills about learning and other things so uh, how do we actually define that given that you know uh, most often uh, of the, the the most important stakeholder is is the uh, the person who's actually learning who's who's going through this uh, the entire process mm-hmm. of learning and uh, and and it's 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 adults who are actually deciding on what the uh, children want to learn okay uh, so how do how do we how is it possible at all for us to get uh, the the voice of the child uh, or do we have to go back to our own uh, childhoods to bring that voice in when we when we look at bringing in 21st century skills or changing the way Uh, because i at least uh, you know always felt that schooling meant domestication that mm-hmm. we would be asked to comply that write an examination do this do that and don't do this and don't do that so mm-hmm. how do we move children and uh, and uh, you know and how do we change mindsets i think that is uh, crucial is there any, anything at all to how we can change i have a couple of uh, anic- i guess anecdotes in a way mm-hmm. to respond to this so one is uh, the oecd uh, is currently working on their learning a uh, compass uh, which so they first developed the compass uh, as a student centric piece on student agency um and now they're going ahead to talk about teacher agency and how that can then support student agency um in the last focus group uh, meeting that we had a few weeks ago very interesting and for the first time in over a decade that I've been in the education sector we had students as part of that meeting with the secretariat of the OECD so the students were actually given inputs on what works for them in the classroom and i think that's a voice we never i have been fighting to get students into uh, grown up conferences for many years but this was the first time it happened and it was really really something 
so getting their voices on the table is really crucial um the second uh, point is from uh, the point of view of teachers so again another anecdote on this um we know and there's a lot of um pushback when we mentioned the finland exa- example in india saying this cannot be done in india uh but we should really be aspiring for that so uh one of the very celebrated teachers um in an interview um i was asking them how they managed to implement their programs because their assessments are not quantitative like they're not multiple choice they have in depth reviews that they do for every child in the classroom uh also teachers are completely free to take the fundam- i mean as long as they're meeting the learning requirements the learning goals they can use any kind of methodology to do that any kind of content is allowed to be used and um any way whether it's digital or they take them out to museum trips or whatever it may be the teachers completely free to decide how they want to do it uh so my question to them was how do they ensure that the teachers are actually doing their job and who monitors the teachers and the response of this one teacher was this very blank look when they said they trust us so and i was very taken aback so they trust you so yeah they completely trust us so i think that mindset change needs to come through the entire system uh from the top to the bottom and um i was going through the new education policy and despite the fact that the opening of it talks about a very idealistic um you know forward looking and progressive ideas if you go into it in depth it's actually very very constricting there's a lot of control over very small details to the point that at some level it mentions that chana and good needs to be served to students that kind of minute detail which means they really do not trust how this is going to get implemented so um uh, that has sort of been uh, a sore point even th- through the uh, course of development of the new education policy so i think that level of trust needs to come uh, both ways from the parents as well as from the system uh, and policy makers as well and i am not sure how we will go about uh, doing that but that is going to be key to start thinking about skills because if you're working in a system where you know the skills are not being demonstrated they cannot be taught uh uh we have a couple of questions i would like to kind of club them uh you know uh, in india when we are operating at scale there uh, seems to be a curriculization of you know these skills uh and we, uh, what i mean by that is uh cbse uh, rolled out uh, a plan or a curriculum for value education or certain values uh, 50 odd values which were made a part of the curriculum which had to be identified by the students now having the capability to identify does not necessarily mean that you have in you actually inculcate them uh so there are a couple of questions in the chat box which talk about uh, how do we identify the skills or is there a standard curriculum which we can now which in which all the teachers will be trained and then they'll be able to implement it and the second part of the question is uh, are these skills kind of graded in the sense that okay someone in this age group or in this grade is expected to pick these uh, certain uh, skills or uh can you also kind of throw light on uh, have have they these models been implemented somewhere else as well um so could you repeat the last part of the second question i uh, have there been models where you know uh, the skills have been kind of graded as age appropriate and uh, 
when it actually put into implementation do we have models from across the world where we know that there are successes from a, a particular strategy being implemented right um so i'll talk to the second question first and i'll request you to repeat the first one again afterwards okay. um so essentially um yes so skills are graded in that they develop over a period of time uh particularly there are two growth spurts one is early childhood years and adolescence where there is a major uptake of skills that happen uh there is still a lot of research that needs to be done in trying to understand exactly what skills are being picked up at what time in life but yes there is a progression of skills and they build on top of each other uh it is not linear it is it is a mess and we need to accept that uh but at the same time yes there will if you say for example look at creativity as as a skill you may have certain constructs or certain subparts of, of it developing at some point in time so for example when children are um you know um taking on free play they're just doing whatever there's a, it's a lot of exploratory and very creative period uh, where this random ideas and a lot of imagination but then it gets more structured as you go further down so even how one how the skills are acquired and what aspects of the skills are acquired changes over a period of time and it is also very individualized so yes uh we need to be very cognizant of that fact as we are teaching and learning these skills um and so i'm going to ask you to repeat something yeah the the first question was with respect to now do we have a structured curriculum which is in place to help teachers go ahead and implement that um there are curricula which are being put together at least in in the indian context and in a lot of the countries where there is uh, an emphasis particularly I, i i would say scandinavian countries and um the netherlands uh, finland etc they don't necessarily have a separate curriculum uh, to implement skills so collaboration for example is very inbuilt into the normal school day um it is something that is reported on on a very regular basis and correct uh, collaboration also has its definition so just sitting at the same table and doing your own bits is not collaboration um separating out parts of a task saying you you do this you do this and you do this and then we put it together is also not the best level of collaboration collaboration uh, is defined over there as when everyone comes together and does something and in the end you don't really know who has done what so that's real teamwork so they do have these gradations or like a rubric for what they think but that is built into their school day on every activity so it's not an add on and that's i think something we need to be very cognizant of that life skills cannot be taught as okay today i'm going to teach you about you know kite it needs to be modeled it needs to be built in and there needs to be a systemic support in order for that skill to be built as well so we are not just looking and the slide i had shared earlier with regards to the framework for designing skills talks about a lot of these factors um which will have to come together not just as one or two but as a whole for any effective take up of skill to happen just to a follow up question on that uh, can you just elaborate on the role of a school or a teacher in designing a curriculum for themselves to be implemented by them a designing curriculum for themselves i think the the role of a teacher is very very crucial i think the role of uh, a role model or a mentor or an adult plays a very important part in the acquisition of life skills so one is just the presence of a mentor is very very important um the second thing is i think uh, we will as i mentioned we need to 
think of these skills very differently from how we have been thinking about um, teaching academic knowledge and assessing academic knowledge. So when we think about developing that curriculum, we will have to really think outside of the box, um, outside of the classroom, outside of the school. So it may or may not necessarily happen only in the school. There will have to be an influx of other ideas, other factors, inspiration coming in for a skill to be acquired. Creativity, for example, um, you, can, you cannot have um, children imagining solutions to problem with only the knowledge that is provided in the textbook. They will need external information. They could be building a prototype for which they will need access to a lot of other resources available online or access to experts who are um, outside of the school who can come in and talk to them or maybe a visit to a factory to see how things happen. So we'll have to think about um, these, uh, you know, the role of the teacher will have to be to first do some unlearning from what the original way of teaching and learning was. I think, um, so we have been implementing uh, tinkering workshops across Bangalore, Delhi and Bombay for a range of demographics and age groups as well. Um, also, we've done some workshops for teachers and we find that this unlearning piece, uh, you know, have, so tinkering um, is a very interesting example because it's very hard to define the goals of tinkering. Essentially, you're messing around with stuff, you're failing, you're redoing things. There is no end to it. So for example, if I have been given um, you know, one statement saying, build a scribbling robot, I can build as complex a robot using any kinds of you know, Arduinos, etc. Um, or I can build something very, very basic, which is just mechanical. So there is no limit to how much you can, you can mess with. So the setting of the goal and you know, how do you grade whether a certain child has done a good enough job or not, is very crucial. We have had children where we, we said they've done an excellent job because they just sat there for three hours and didn't create a ruckus and that was an achievement. As opposed to some children who built very, very complex robots and you said, okay, this is not good enough because you can do better. So um, one is it is going to have to be very individualized as well. Uh, but also the challenge has been for us to take that step back and say, okay, learning looks very, very different for, skill, for skills. And there's no way we can teach it or measure it in the same way as we have been doing so far. Okay, just to add uh, to that question, uh, there are about four or five questions related to this. I'm kind of clubbing them together. Uh, we have uh, very resource limited settings. There are uh, limited teacher capacities uh, in, in a huge country like India. So the, one of the questions was actually that, do you think uh, all these uh, Western models are practical in a setting like in India? So are any uh, success stories, any models that we can learn from? Um, yes, actually. Um, so I think one of the methods for teaching and learning skills that we've covered in the upcoming research piece is design thinking, for example. And I think you must have come across that uh, as well. So uh, Design for Change is an organization we evaluated in, I think, three or four states so far. Um, and what they have a very simple model that works with uh, in a relatively short time frame, but with very, very resource constrained places. Um, I would say in terms of teacher capacity, uh, teachers across the world are very, very overburdened and we recognize that, whether it's in the US um, or in Europe or in India. Uh, they are stretched for time. They're also, you know, increasingly taking on more of a role of 
um, parents as well. So they are definitely burdened. But there is also the possibility of weaving in uh, skills into how they do things. So I mentioned the example of collaboration in Finland, for example, right? Um, so that if you're doing some kind of a classwork, it can automatically be built into that. And it doesn't require any additional effort once that system is put in place. Um, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't always have to be cost intensive either. Uh, tinkering activities, for example, can be done at fairly low costs uh, with locally available material or design thinking programs can be run at really, really low cost. So there were children in Tamil Nadu we know who built a school boundary wall based on waste bottles that they collected from the village. Um, so yes, it required some amount of coordination and effort between the children and villagers and the teachers as well. But they managed to do that. So it doesn't always have to be expensive. And uh, we do have, I think, in government schools, an okay, you know, reasonable budget for teaching learning material as well, which can be very creatively used as well. So instead of just thinking about charts and things, maybe we could just think of cardboard boxes, right? They could do so much more than just having charts, which is a very cheap way of getting creative as well. So. Okay, uh, there's a, a couple of questions that I'll take from the chat and, uh, and add and add to that. Uh, this being that, uh, you know, the whole uh, learning of life skills itself is essentially needs to be experiential, immersive and all of that. And our schools uh, are not really laboratories where that can happen, one. And two is, I think, uh, two uh, add-on questions to that is one, uh, one person is asking about homeschooling and how within the ambit of homeschooling, with, it, with homeschooling catching up, how can all of this be incorporated, these uh, life skills learning? And should we also be incorporating some of the, the Gurukula systems? And do you think those are practical uh, extensions that need to be incorporated into part of this experiential immersive learning of life skills? Um, so I think the current pandemic has automatically made everything experiential. If you are at home and we are you're required to help your mom uh, regardless of you know how much you need to study because you know she has to work and you have to do your schooling and stuff uh, that is learning you are managing your time uh, there is a kind of breakdown of gender barriers because you know whether you're a boy or a girl you have to help in the house you have to help in the house so the current scenario is definitely very immersive and experiential whether we agree to it or not um, but otherwise, I think as I've mentioned earlier, just because something is experiential does not mean that it needs to be intensive. It can be embedded within what we are already doing within the classroom. Um, just very simple systems can be set up for these skills to be, you know, for example, if one way of managing a classroom could be, okay, I'm going to assign a monitor and that person is going to take care of what's going on. Um, and, you know, complain to the teacher if children are not listening, as opposed to um, instead of assigning that monitor one, you could figure out a voting system in which case they're learning about democratic skills. Uh, once that is in place, then they can actually come together and negotiate on the kind of set of rules they want within the classroom, which is teaching them negotiation skills. So the same thing without extra resources or maybe too much of extra time can be implemented as well. So again, we need to think very, very creatively about the solutions to bringing these skills. I think the one switch, if we make saying that this is not an add-on, but built into what we do every single day is really going to get these skills to be incorporated. 
one one of the things that the uh, the the current crisis has taught us is that uh, the one thing that we should not do is to expect or plan for something at all <laughs> so uh, so when we plan for, so when we talk about planning for 21 21st century skills so what are we actually planning for is 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 it, is that is that something that you want to comment about so um if you look at the skills that i presented in that slide which has some 50 60 skills yeah. over there none of the skills are new <laughs> they are basic human skills that have been there for as long as we have been around um maybe the proportion of what is more crucial creativity is a lot more we call it now design thinking maybe that didn't exist earlier but essentially to problem solve and come up with new ideas based on whatever problem you're presented with has been around forever there is no new skill as such i think the conversation on 21st century skills is being pushed forth as a 21st century skill conversation because i think we've we've kind of finished up with the industrial era of teaching and learning where you know we're sitting children down all facing the same way preparing them to go into a factory so i think just the conversation on 21st century skills is sort of termed to kind of mark the end of that era in a way and refocus um our learning um goals to what should really be taught and i think um you know when you initially having the conversation you talked about education versus learning versus schooling and i think this is a great time to restart that conversation thing you know where is the real learning happening yeah uh we have another uh, very interesting uh, question uh we have been talking about uh, 21st century skills for a learner what about 21st century skills for a teacher yes so i think um, you know one of the things that i mentioned was that the unlearning part is very important and unlearning is is a 21st century skill because uh, it requires to re- you to reevaluate everything that you have done so far to reassessing and readjusting um, our own thought processes in, is in an of itself a fairly complex cognitive process so um, first starting off with with unlearning uh, going back to thinking that okay and one of the other points i had mentioned in the slide was that play based learning is important it's as important for the teacher to play as it is for the kids so as to rethink the importance of play and bringing that back um, as well and without modeling the kind of skills that we're trying to teach there is no way that the children are going to learn i mean if a teacher is coming and you know shouting at the kids saying you sit down and you learn how to be empathetic that is really not going to work um so they are equally important for both parties as well as the extended uh, ecosystem of stakeholders within the education system uh one question you just mentioned about play based uh, learning and uh, the nep talks about arts integration into uh, arts integrated curriculum and sports integrated curriculum as a method or a means to uh, inculcate 21st century skills any comments on that um a couple of comments so uh, as i mentioned that the nep is a little bit prescriptive in terms of bringing in great ideas but then telling people exactly how it should be done so i think there is a discrepancy in us talking about you know say creativity but then telling you how to be creative so that needs to be resolved or sooner rather than later because as it trickles down into the curriculum and implementation it's going to create more problems um sorry so that was um, could you just repeat the question the, the arts integrated curriculum yeah. and the sports integrated right 
so the current study that uh, we are just wrapping up that I had uh, briefly presented uh, has also covered uh, methods of sports, arts and music in how they are helping to teach uh, life skills or 21st century skills. Uh, there is a lot of literature and these are especially uh, very well established methods of life skills and um, but there is we need to be very careful on how it is being done. Sports, for example, is a great example. Um, sport by itself, if you're playing a sports, is very, very competitive. And the literature talks about that excessive competition actually being negative for the learning of life skills. So where sport is actually introduced uh, with the purpose of teaching life skills and not just as a competition. Um, so just playing sport for the uh, sake of sport may not necessarily teach the kind of skills that we're looking at, but sport with the purpose of teaching life skills is actually going to help incorporate that. Um, so the implementation methodology is also going to be key. And I think one of the interesting things that we've seen is a little bit worrisome as well, is that the evidence is very mixed uh, for each of these methods. So we've gone into a deep dive on looking at all of the literature behind sport, music, debate, computational thinking on how they can teach life skills. And the causal evidence, so, you know, sport definitely leads to teamwork is thin. And despite the fact that these methods are very well established, very well touted, everyone says if you want to teach teamwork, you need to do sport. Uh, but it's a very fine balance between attributing the causal linkage to the actual pathway of how that happens. It is also contingent on um, who your coach was, how you were being coached, what is the level of competition, what is the level of stress. So a lot of other factors go into it. Uh, and if I'm making an intervention with so many, if this and this and this and this, then the replicability of that is not going to be very easy. You cannot necessarily replicate the conditions of exactly one intervention, say in the United States, in India. So what is it that's still going to work over here? So the evidence really uh, needs to be built up and it is surprisingly slim and quite worrisome to be honest. Uh, a quick yeah. question uh, about, uh, uh, you know, assessments, when it comes mm -hmm. to assessment at a school level in the classroom, are there any uh, tools which uh, can actually quantitatively measure uh, life skills or 21st century skills? Um, so Praveen, if you could share one of the resources, the handbook on measuring 21st century skills. Okay. Um, that is the handbook where we have outlined uh, all of the, the skills, the four skills that I talked about earlier. Um, what we've also done is we've taken each of the constructs and aligned uh, existing assessments. And most of them are out, like in a Western context. Uh, very few have been developed for the Indian context so far. Uh, but it has aligned all of the measurement tools uh, available with the specific skills. So you can refer to that for... Uh, the and one last question from my side and then over to Ramesh. Uh, th there seems to be a very, very thin line or maybe no line between uh, vocational skills or uh, skills towards employment and skills towards being a better human being. Uh, and, you know, every uh, all the literature seems to be kind of uh, all over the place when it comes to talking about 21st century skills or life skills or vocational skills. And each one is kind of described in a way that one is the route to the other or, you know, for example, in, uh, vocational skills, introducing uh, vocational education is seen as a 
uh, way to uh, address the pseudo dignity of labor issue uh, so if we don't seem to have a clear road map when it comes to uh, talking about in any skilling that way as long as as it is uh, you know memory based or uh, you know curricular subjects where there are concrete boundaries drawn it seems to be easier uh, when it comes to implementation uh, any quick uh, comments on that um a couple of things so i so i think vocational skills are very distinct from life skills they're very specific hard skills for you to do a specific job um 21st century skills or life skills will have to go along with with anything if you need to do a good job of it so if you um if you are trained to become say an electrician and you are not turning up on time or you're not careful with things and you could be creating trouble um so the life skills needs to go hand in hand with any other kind of training and it's unfortunate that the word skills is common in both but uh, they're actually distinct set uh, that we uh, we're talking about um and does that answer the question given the emphasis on uh, you know uh, vocational uh, education and uh, le le learning of vocational skills i'll just club a question from the chat box uh, on that uh, same one so how much of this schooling actually has to move out of schools out of the classrooms itself given that vocations have to be learned at the place where the as well as so how much of schooling that vocation has to be learned yeah i'm saying given that vocational skills are to be learned how much of the schooling actually needs to move out of uh, you know the 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 uh, environment of a classroom and into the actions a place where the skills can be learned so are we talking about two separate levels of education yes. here yes okay so um no i think so vocational i'm sorry i'm a bit confused about the question so vocational training happens post schooling right for at least post secondary if not senior secondary no the, the reason i asked is some of the skills uh, some of the skills can actually be uh, you know uh, started off even while children are at schools of course so uh, so uh, do you think such skills need not necessarily be taught within the confines of a school but rather taken to the place where they can actually be learned rather so than only it, doing it within the environment of a school it could be either or um, i don't think there's a definitive answer and it's also a very different um, mindset in how we think about it uh for example there are a couple of schools in the us which uh you know have a lot of tools and uh, kids are using saws and all kinds of things and these schools are sort of in the limelight for saying you know we you know let kids do dangerous things and um you know they're very sort of um, rock star sort of schools and there's only a few of them uh but if you look at scandinavia every school has a workshop in there there is no i mean they say that if a kid does not know how to fix their own house how are they going to live their life so it is a part of how they are growing up and it's not a big deal um so having a workshop within a school they're learning the basic skills of drilling and electric you know electrification and it's really normal um so yes we depending on what our goal is uh, but i think also talking to pravin's previous question in terms of the compounding of vocational skills with life skills i think that comes from a, a more fundamental problem of us not having defined the goal of education very clearly because up until now up until the new education policy has come we've been constantly catering to education for jobs um and that conversation definitely has changed as a result of the policy how it will get implemented is a different question 
but we we need to rethink the goal of education. So so far, it's jobs either as a vocational training and then a job or some kind of an employment later on. Um, so compounding learning with that just single-minded goal of earning a living, uh, I wouldn't say is wrong because it's a practical reality of our country. Um, but at the same time, we need to be nudging it in a direction where learning actually means learning um, and not just for the sake of a job. Uh, one last question uh, before we you know, go to concluding remarks. Uh, you yourself, uh, you know, uh, studied science as a subject. So, what prompted you to, you know, move into, you know, changing education rather influencing um, education as the sector that you've chosen? What what prompted you? Is, is there something that got you into this? Um, yes. So, I was uh, I did my PhD in biochemistry and I was doing my postdoctoral research in uh, biophysics. Uh, I was in California at the time and I started volunteering for ASHA for Education, which was a nonprofit uh, that does fundraising in the US and funds education projects in India. Um, and one of the projects that I was coordinating uh, was based, still running uh, in uh, Odisha in the Ganjam district, where they had a number of uh, children from the local tribal areas who had some form of disability uh, who used to come to a specific. Uh, center and stay there for the entire academic year um, while at the same time the person who was running the organization was fighting for the right to be in school at the same time so we were funding that uh, you know that residential uh, place and i was in conversation with some of my um, colleagues who were working on disability and doing research on that and um, their you know that interest in how we can how policy can impact things like this because this person had to fight every single day to get a child into a regular school um, and I had the idea that policy is likely to be able to influence things like this and therefore I decided to make the switch. But I will add that um, I think going in this direction uh, was far more fruitful than it would have been going in the opposite direction. Uh, because coming from the science angle into the education angle brought that kind of vigor in, um, in thinking and analysis which you cannot reverse. So they're definitely, so ran, running randomized controlled trials, for example, came very naturally because it is the experimental approach to doing things. Um, and uh, the scientific thinking or is something which I think regardless of who you are really needs to be incorporated into every aspect of, of life skills because fundamentally it is a logical thinking process. And one of the reasons why we are having this level of you know, bigotry and intolerance in the country and globally is because people are not thinking logically and clearly. And I would advocate if I could, every child would study science and love science, not just for the sake of memorizing things. Just the process of being open to inquiry, being open to observations and inferring, inferring from that as opposed to just jumping to conclusions is something which is crucial as a thinking process in general. Kamsha, thank you for taking the time out to answer all those questions. Uh... Thank period. you. They were great questions. And uh, yeah, so over to you now for the concluding remarks. If you have any uh, final thoughts, if you would like to leave us with your final comments and thoughts. Um, um, sure. Dr. Balu, would you like to add something? Uh, I wait for you to finish it. Oh. Uh, uh, sure. So, um, so I think uh, 
life skills are fundamental life skills are important and we need to start thinking of them as part of who we are and how we do things rather than as add on um that's crucial they are also very complicated uh, currently uh, we are trying to simplify it as you know at least from the research research point of view um and we're hoping we would be able to contribute to that conversation and um but we think these skills are really really crucial for us to be in you know a world which is at peace uh, and not at war continuously even dealing with problems like the current uh, pandemic requires us to put some kind of logic into how we are behaving and what we are doing so at all levels of life i think the skills are crucial and we just stop at that that's that is wonderful so i'll quickly jump in and respond to akanksha's uh, i think uh, life skills is not something of uh, 21st century skills as the world is known when i began my journey in uh, space of education the fashion statement was life skills and 5 uh, 6 years ago we evolved the fashion statement into 21st century skills but obviously uh, uh, the work that you have done is enormous in understanding and unpacking it you know i think that is very critical we, we sometimes work without fixed definitions we don't have an understanding which all of us agree to what i might mean as creativity might be in its own sense subjectively interpreted differently to give it an objective meaning and understand appreciate replicate in a classroom is a huge complex challenge i think the the book and pravina shared the links of eval designs downloadable uh, report and book which is something very interesting and i think most teachers on this uh, program today i would urge you to download it because you will find it very useful uh my concern has always been uh, we all fall in love with fashion statements of the day and till the next fashion statement takes over we get obsessed with it right now the fashion statement i'm afraid is nep and uh, when people get tired of nep and then we have some new fashion statement to follow but nep is a great policy a great beginning and and i know that the the, the people who were the committee who wrote it several of them have shared their views with me it is not supposed to be a static document for a decade or 20 years it's supposed to be a very vibrant lively dynamic piece of work like understanding of uh, 21st century skills are going to be so from theory to practice to a classroom to making a real impact on a child is a long journey for every one of us involved in this and akanksha is sort of very in a very simplified one hour uh, sharing uh, thank you for helping us unpack it a bit i know you need a whole semester to teach us about the whole thing but keeping in and i have always been fascinated that from science and i like your explanation from moving from the sciences to the space of humanities and understanding education is possibly easier transition than the reverse uh, well i don't fully agree that the reverse is also not possible i do believe that a lot of soft sides of science needs to be strengthened a lot more people should also start trying to move to the other side uh, it is great it is as always a pleasure to be interacting with you and we hope to from sqim keep tapping into your brains and your talent and your knowledge to help us further unpack it in our institution and in our work so thank you again for responding to our request akanksha and thank you so much for having me it was really nice and I loved answering the questions as well and i hand it over back to ramesh now to take it from yeah so uh thank you everyone i think uh, we have completed one more session uh, we would request you to share your feedback and questions uh, we'll try to get uh, get answers to those questions you can email uh, praveen uh, 
at the email id or message him or me at the at these email ids you could also follow us on uh, on our twitter you just have to search for we lead on twitter or you could uh, we have a youtube channel where this is also beaming live and we have uh, several people who have logged in as well so subscribe to our youtube channel just go in and look for we lead training and you could subscribe to our youtube channel we also run a podcast where the recording of this this would also be uh, shared and so you could subscribe to our podcast as well we already have quite a few subscribers we we'll look for more sub subscribers and uh, next week uh, we'll have uh, on teachers day we will be in conversation with dr k kasturi rangan uh, the former chairman isro as well as the uh, chairman of the drafting committee of the national education policy it's something that i'm sure each one of you is also looking forward to as uh, we are looking forward to and uh, finally uh, thank you akanksha thank you Uh, for a wonderful uh, session for sharing your thoughts with us may may uh, just intervene yeah. please, uh, for the listeners uh, please uh, uh, note that there is a small change in timings next week yeah. we will actually meet during daytime yeah during the day yeah 11 am to 12 pm yeah and uh, so we like like pravin said we would be meeting between 11 and 12 uh, and it's not going to be 7 and 8 as earlier and uh, thank you thank you for everyone for coming and thank you for joining us and we look forward to uh, having your company again next week between uh, between 11 and 12 and then subsequent sessions as well thank you and have a great thank you, uh, thank you so much thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.